Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, and today we get to look at the first Sunday in Lent. And we begin our Lenten tide with seeing what brings sin into the world and then how Jesus deals with it. And this is a, a huge event. Obviously, it's Genesis chapter 3 when we have the fall of Adam and Eve in perfection. But before that, we need to remember what Lent is all about. Lent is a time of repentance. It's a time of renewal. It's a time of reflection. And repentance is turning away. But you first of all have to recognize what you're turning away from, and that is sin. And when we think about sin, we need to remember it's so much more than the things that we're supposed to do or not do. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said of old that you shall not murder, but I tell you, if you're angry, if you insult your neighbor, you have all these other things that we truly do sin in thought, word, and deed. And when we realize the depths of our sin, we can do nothing but cry out to God, asking Him for mercy, asking Him for grace, and realizing that we can only trust in His good and gracious gifts. We can't earn our salvation. We can't pay for our salvation. We can't even die to earn our salvation. It takes somebody else outside of us to win, to earn salvation, forgiveness, life everlasting, the resurrection, salvation for us. And, of course, that is the work and person of Jesus, the Jesus Jesus Christ. And today, we see in the Genesis text, the Old Testament text, we see that God has gifted humanity, Adam and Eve, with perfection, the fullness of the Garden of Eden and then the fullness of all that he created. And Adam and Eve really, literally had everything they needed. And they pretty much had everything they wanted because their will was aligned with God. It's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, that thy will be done, that we get to have the gifts that what is given is what we receive because that is the desire that we are connected to with God, that everything that he gives, everything that he desires is also what we want, what we desire. And this is what Adam and Eve had. They had the perfection of will. They willed what God willed, and they understood this, and they participated in it. They lived the perfect, sanctified life. And then we hear that the serpent uh, 
deceives, tempts Eve, and she eats, Adam eats, and then this plunges all of creation into corruption. We are now dealing with a fallen world. Just look around you. We see pain. We see hurt. We see heartache. And you don't have to go that far. I mean, we have horrific events all around the world. We had the the horrible earthquake that happened in Turkey and Syria where uh, thousands, tens of thousands of people died. And we, we see that creation has fallen. And we hear that our Lord God curses the serpent, curses Adam, curses Eve. But now with all of this, he also promises salvation. He promises through the seed of the woman, the Messiah will be born. He will come and fix what we have broken. And this is the promise that the Old Testament keeps on revealing. The Messiah is coming. The Redeemer is coming. And then the New Testament, we have Jesus showing up. The promised one is here. This is what Andrew tells his brother Simon Peter. We have found the one, the Messiah. Come and see. And we pick up in the New Testament, uh, the gospel lesson for this Sunday, which is St. Matthew chapter 4. And it's the temptations of Christ, the temptations of Jesus. He was just baptized, and as we know and remember, he is baptized in a sinner's baptism, but he's perfect. He doesn't need to repent. He doesn't need to turn away from his sinful thoughts, his sinful words, or his sinful actions. But yet, he unites himself to you, the sinner. And because he unites himself to you, it now shows that he is bringing his power, his might, his grace, his mercy, his love into our flesh. And he is going to live our life the way Adam and Eve should have, the way that you should, the way I should, perfect, obeying God's will in perfect conformity and perfect obedience. And so we see that uh, God the Father speaks, this is my Son who I love, and the Holy Ghost descends upon him in the form of a dove, and then immediately Led by the Spirit, he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted. Now, this is a very important fact. 40 days, 40 nights, 40 years, the number 40 shows up a lot both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we see and need to remember that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, being tested again and again by God. They were being disciplined. And this was to ensure that God was in control, that God was giving them all that they needed to survive. And these tests were to, again, promote the life that they have in the work of God, in the work that he provides. And so Jesus is now Israel 
reduced to one. He's going to do everything that was commanded of the people of Israel. And so he goes out into the wilderness, literally, for 40 days and 40 nights. And he is going to be sustained by God. God is going to keep him alive. But during this time, we see that Satan shows up and tempts Jesus. Now, we only have, uh, for our understanding and for our record, we only have three temptations. I personally believe that throughout the whole 40 days, he was being tempted in various ways, but we only get three. And the first one is that, and notice how Satan tempts Jesus. The first one is, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And the second one, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And the third one is Satan speaking to Jesus, saying, all these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. So we hear in the first two temptations, this is an attack upon Jesus' divinity. If you are the Son of God, prove it. And I don't know about you, but when I'm challenged by people, you know, you, you have to prove that you can do this. You have to show them up. Of course I can do this. Of course I am X, Y, and Z. And But Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't lower himself to the level that the devil is putting and placing him or trying to place him into. And Jesus doesn't have to prove that he's the Son of God. He doesn't have to prove that he is God. He doesn't have to prove that he is the Messiah. Jesus comes in the fullness of all his divine power, all his divine majesty. And for Satan to show up and then literally challenge his godness, you know, if you really were God, you could do this and this. Why don't you do this? And again, I'm I'm really quick to think, oh, if I was God, I'd do this. I'd do that. I, I would just wipe out the devil. I wouldn't have to face this. And we quickly see that our understanding is not God's understanding. Our ways are not his ways. And we see that Jesus bears these temptations. But he does this perfectly. And we see that Satan uses the, the word of God, the Bible, and so does Jesus. And in this, we see that we get to trust the promise of what Scripture gives and reveals. We will always have people misusing Scripture. We will always have people misusing doctrine. We will always have people misusing the church. That doesn't make God wrong. That doesn't make doctrine wrong. That doesn't make Jesus weak. He is always the strongest. He is always the most merciful, the most loving. The church is always perfect in Christ, in his work. 
And again, that doesn't mean that the people of the church misuse doctrine, scripture, the church, and so on and so forth. And just because it's misused doesn't mean that it is not right, correct, salutary, and good. And we always need to make sure that we are keeping that understanding in place when we talk about the church, when we talk about God's work, because this is exactly what Satan does. And it's the very same thing he did to Eve did God really say? Placing that seed of doubt, trying to get us to then question God's will, God's desire, God's acts. And remember, our understanding is not God's understanding. Our ways are not God's ways. And we need to make sure that we're put in our proper place. We are the creation. We're the creature. He is the divine creator, the one who knows all things, the one who completes and fulfills all things. And we need to remember this, which is frankly hard. Since Genesis chapter 3, we've been searching to make God in our own image. We've been seeking to control him. And this is exactly what Satan is doing in the temptations. He is showing that he desires to be God, and he is trying to trip up Jesus. He's trying to tempt Jesus in the fact that he questions who he is. Now, I remember reading a book, and it was some medieval fantasy book, and there was this very young king, and he was throwing temper tantrums because he wasn't getting his way. And the queen mother leans over to him and tells this young king, if you have to tell everyone and prove to everyone that you are the king, then you are not the king. And this is so true because we need to know and remember that the identity of Christ is not because he does all these fancy miracles or he shows up and, and does these things or says the right things. He is the Messiah because he's the Messiah. He is God because he is God. He is the Redeemer, because he is the Redeemer. Now, there are acts that flow from these titles. They, they are acts that flow because of what this means. As Redeemer, he's going to redeem, because he's God. He's the Messiah, and because he's Messiah, he is going to be God with us. He's going to be the one who reconciles creation, you and me, to God. Why? Because he is God. He is the only one who can do these works. He is the only one who can fulfill what we have failed to do. And so we need to remember, because he is God, he gets to be the Redeemer. He gets to be the Messiah. He gets to be the Christ. He gets to be the Creator. All this flows from who he is because of who he is. And I don't want this to be just a circular argument. And we have to really, at the end of the day, accept because God said so because God acted in this way. And again, the temptations just opened the door, because I don't know if you're anything like me, but I question God. Why did you do it this way? What if you did it this way? Well, and then it 
easily divulges or, or falls into the whole, well, if I was God, I would do this and that. And then we end up making God almost like a divine vending machine. If I say the right prayers, if I do the right ceremony, if I do the right thing, then I will get what I want. Or I will be able to manipulate God because, well, doesn't God just want me to be happy? Doesn't God just want to accept me? Doesn't God just want to tolerate my sin? And at the end of the day, it's no, and it's a resounding no. And this is what Lent does. When we fall into these temptations ourselves, doubting and questioning God in these ways— if you were really God, wouldn't you just give me everything that I wanted? If you were really God, wouldn't you just do what I want to make me happy? And this is the gratification of the flesh. This is the first commandment issue, that I am not putting my trust, my love, my fear into the one who has already redeemed me, the one who has already made right what I have broken. And so when we look at these temptations, our eyes are open to the mere fact that God comes to bear our sins and truly deals with us in our flesh, suffers the very things we fail and fall doing. And we get to trust and fall into him. We fall into his perfection. We fall into his strength. We fall into his might. We fall into his perfect work of salvation because we cannot stand under our sin. We are crushed by these temptations because we embrace them and hold on to them and too often believe the lies of our flesh. But we are not left there. And the great thing about that but, but is it's truly grammatically correct in the sense that it negates all that previous stuff because you have been baptized. You have been made a child of God. Those sins are wiped away. You are washed clean and you get to live in this perfection as if you have done this. Jesus takes on these temptations, the ones that we would embrace and hold on to. And he breaks them by living perfectly, by doing what we cannot do, because he is God. And he stands as the substitute, the all-availing sacrifice, the great wonderment of, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away your sin. And he proves this by going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan himself and winning. He does not fall to these temptations. He does not prove that he's God by jumping through the hoops, these tests, these temptations that Satan sets up. He proves that he's God by not falling, by not simply proving by the wave of his hand or the simple thought or doing and manipulating creation for his desires. He does what needs to be done, and that is completing God's will on your behalf. Now, what else is amazing about this text is that throughout Jesus' life, there is Satan waiting to pounce, to crush, to 
bring about the full destruction of God's creation. He thinks that he can tempt the blessed Messiah, the Redeemer, to not do the work that he has been sent to do. This is what happens with St. Peter after his great confession, you are the son of the living God. And then immediately Jesus says that the son of man, the, the son of God, the Christ will go to the cross and suffer at the hands of the chief priests, the scribes, and die on the cross. And we see St. Peter, no, no, do not go, do not suffer, do not die. And we hear Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Satan wants Jesus to fail. Satan wants you to fail. Satan wants you to doubt. Satan wants you to mistrust the promises already fulfilled, already completed. And this is why we go to church. This is why we go to Bible class. This is why we have our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We need the help of what is given to us through relationships, through the preaching of God's Word, through the study of God's Word, through devotion, through prayer. All these are the gifts of God that remind us of the depth of what God did for us, truly reaching into our death, our sin, taking on our flesh to live this life so that we get to know His mercy. We get to know His divine providence as He sustains and keeps us. And again, you have Satan throughout the life, the earthly life of Christ, waiting to deceive, waiting to tempt, waiting to bring the fall of Christ. Listen to what the Pharisees and everybody at the cross says. If he is the Son of God, if he is the Messiah, let him save himself. Let him do these mighty works. He saved others. Let him save himself, so on and so forth. We hear through these other people the words of Satan. We get to remember that even on the cross, Jesus withstood the fullness of all that Satan threw at him. Even on the cross, in these moments which are horrifically torturous, Jesus stood up to your sin. He stood up to your death. He stood up to your hell. And because he is God, he walks through all of that on your behalf so that you would know his life. You would know the resurrection. You would know the sure and certain hope of forever found only in him. This is what Lent reminds us of, that we get to travel with Jesus. We get to travel with the church. We get to travel in the sure and certain hope of what the Holy Spirit reveals to us that salvation is ours.
Let us truly repent. Let us truly turn away from our sin and behold the great wonderment of Christ's love for us. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.